You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 170, Chad Knapper, Drug Trends and Risks in Our Communities. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. My name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, we've been spending the last couple of episodes of hearing from some of the experts that we had at the Ensure Justice Conference uh, this year in 2018. And today, uh, another expert that is going to again, challenge us with some new thinking and help us to study the issues. Such an important mission of what the Global Center for Women and Justice is all about, right? Absolutely. I am so glad to welcome to our show today, Chad Knapper. Chad is the Prevention Coordinator for Appalachia-Haida, which is the high-intensity drug trafficking area for West Virginia and Virginia since 2015. Prior to this position, he spent 20 years in law enforcement and retired uh, back in 2015. In 1997, he was assigned to the CPD Street Crimes Unit with the primary duties of investigation, arrest, and prosecution of street-level drug deals. For three years, he was assigned as a detective with the Metropolitan Drug Enforcement Network Team with the primary duties of investigation and prosecution of state and federal drug violations. He was later appointed the commander of the Metropolitan Drug Enforcement Network Team. He's worked on hundreds of drug-related arrests and drug violations, and he's also been declared as an expert witness in illegal drug possession and distribution in many state and federal courts. Chad, we're so glad to welcome you to Ending Human Trafficking. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. Originally, I tried to do an interview with you and your um, partner with Handle With Care, Andrea Carr, but we already interviewed her a couple episodes ago, and now I'm really glad that you weren't both available because we need more time with each of you individually. So welcome. Let's start off with learning a little bit more about what does it mean, the the HIDA? What does that really entail? HIDA stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. So there's 28 HIDAs across the country, and I work for Appalachia HIDA. And Appalachia HIDA is in West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia. But HIDAs are funded by the Office of National Drug Control Policy. So like I said, there's 28 across the country. And mainly, they fund your drug units throughout your areas that are designated as HIDA counties and uh, through dismantle and disrupt drug trafficking organizations and also money laundering organizations, but some HIDAs also have prevention and education coordinators, and that's what I do. So how would a listener find out if there's a HIDA in their area? You can Google it online and look for your area and find out what HIDA actually represents your area. Like I said, there's 28 across the country. They're, okay. I think they're in 49 states. So if you get online, you can find out what counties are actually HIDA counties and those that are not. Okay, I have a feeling we have some of those here in California. So we will definitely start looking that up. So tell us a little bit about your work on a day-to-day basis. What do you do? Spent a lot of time in schools. We have uh, right now, we last year we had six initiatives. This year we have two initiatives. And our initiatives this year, one is the Hand Up With Care initiative. 
which you're very familiar with. And then another initiative we have is Chasing the Dragon, which is an FBI-DEA joint venture in order to bring knowledge to the opioid epidemic and the dangers of prescription pill abuse. So on a given day, I may speak to a thousand kids at once. You know, I'm not naive as I go in and talk to kids about the drug awareness, drug trends. But take the attitude, you know, as you're speaking to these kids, they're very smart. You know, if one listens and doesn't go down that road, then it's obviously well worth my time. But I also do a lot of education when it comes to professionals, especially teachers, principals. But I don't exclude any. I've, sp- I've spoken at a lot of colleges and then also even for hospitals and other types of professionals. Okay. So when I met you and Andrea, you used the expression that you're Haida is ground zero for the opioid crisis. And can you tell me what that feels like? Because it it is a battle. So describe what your situation is right there. Well, West Virginia, unfortunately, we're leading the nation in the drug overdose death rate. You know, the national average is going to be around 19.8 per 100,000, and West Virginia is at 52 per 100,000. We also lead the nation in new cases of hepatitis B, and we lead the nation in new cases of hepatitis C. We are first in needle natal abstinence syndrome, babies born exposed to drugs. The national average, I believe, is around 6 per 1,000, and West Virginia is at 53 per 1,000. Then our hardest-hit community in West Virginia, it sits in our tri-state area, West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio area is 153 per thousand. So, you know, with this opioid epidemic, we're starting to obviously see all the other things that come along with it. And that's blowing up our school system, our foster care. And then you look at all the diseases that are associated with it. So when you look at Kentucky and Southern Virginia, which we represent the Appalachia area, uh, the numbers are also very high. Wow. So we just need to stop and unpack that a little bit because when you you talked about the drugs, you talked about drug overdose, you talked about foster youth, and you talked about babies. So the overdose deaths, and there's also probably the ones that were saved. Right. Right. So that rate is probably very related to that. And we're seeing that here in, in our own community here in Orange County with a significant spike in overdose deaths and the impact on the kids, uh, drug addicted parents have children who then become labeled drug endangered children. And um, Andrea addressed that really well. So the foster systems, what happens when there's when there's this epidemic? Yeah, you know, there's so many kids that are in the foster system and waiting to be adopted in West Virginia, and there's just not enough families, you know. So we have what we term a lot of couch surfing, you know, kids going between house to house. And then also we've even, I'm sure Andrea probably mentioned it to you, you know, we ran across a teacher who just said, I have a second grader living at my house, you know, uh, not in the foster system, just nowhere to go. So it's really causing a lot of issues in our community. We have a lot of grandparents that are raising grandkids because of parents that have overdosed and died or that are just, you know, fighting through the addiction, maybe through treatment. But, you know, with treatments, you see a lot of relapse. So they're just not able to take care of their children. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that my listeners are like me, as you describe that grandparents raising their grandchildren and no place, no placements, no homes available, and the couch surfing. 
images come to my mind, people come to my mind, organizations come to my mind, where we're seeing that same thing happen here in our region. Tell me more about what happens to the babies. That's that's kind of something we haven't talked about a lot. Yeah, we have a uh, place here called Lily's Place in Huntington, which is kind of leading the nation when it comes to the neonatal abstinence syndrome. And they're uh, doing some really innovative things there as far as these kids, because, you know, it's hard for these hospitals to address this. So uh, they're specifically taking care of a lot of those issues. And like I said, people are starting to model their programs off of what they're doing in Huntington. And um, when you see these babies born exposed to, you know, to different types of drugs, you know, you, these babies can't just be cuddled like we would cuddle a normal baby, you know, that you can't rock them, you know, you can't have light really bright because all these things bother the baby. So they're able to go in and provide a more soothing environment. But something else they do, you know, a lot of these babies have to be weaned off the drugs. So slowly weaning them off of them and then having the family there also, the mother, the father there and provide support services, whether that's through treatment or just parenting issues. So it's really a wraparound services for these kids that are born exposed. Wow. Okay, so you've created a great need for us to understand why um, drug trends are important. It's just not about, oh, this is what the government's doing. It's not just about DEA, but it's about what we need to know in our own backyard. So give us a little lesson on how things have changed in the last five or 10 years. Well, for us, you know, here where I'm from, you know, crack cocaine was the number one drug that we always dealt with. You know, I'm I'm from the largest city in West Virginia, and crack was just the drug of choice. You know, and we've seen that slowly change to where prescription pills become a large part of the community, and and we had a lot of people coming in on prescription pill abuse, and that was probably, you know, early 2000, mid 2000 when we seen that change happen. And whenever you have a prescription pill problem, you're going to have a heroin problem. You know, the national statistic tells you that 80% of all heroin users come from prescription pill abuse. So when we see here like a Pillick and a Panna, which is an oxymorphone mix, it's a 40 milligram pill, and it sells on our streets right now today for around $100 a pill. When you can't afford that pill any longer and you don't want to be sick, then we see people turning towards heroin. Wait, wait, you're saying, you're saying, I, I think they are sick, but they don't want to be sick. What do you mean by that? Well, if they can't get that drug, you know, you can imagine having to pay a hundred dollars per pill. You can't get that drug and you're going to be, you're what they tell me that you're going to be deathly sick from the withdrawal. Okay, so when they know we're going to afford that, that pill for a hundred dollars, then they're going out and moving on to heroin, which is cheaper. And it keeps them from getting sick. And most of these users will tell you, I would never take a dirty, nasty needle and, you know, shove it into my veins. And they wouldn't at the beginning, but it's that progression as the tolerance builds up. You start taking it orally like everybody else would if a doctor prescribed you medication. Then your tolerance builds up and you don't get the same high. So the next thing you're crushing it and you're snoring it, which is getting into your system faster. And then your tolerance builds up. You're not getting the same high. And then you're starting to shoot it up, which gets into your system even quicker. Then the young people I talk to tell me it's not about being high anymore. It's about not being sick. I just want to feel normal. So they have to have that drug just to feel somewhat normal again. Wow. So you're seeing a a big spike in heroin sales. 
Yeah, we, uh, you know, in 2008 here in my area, and I spent, like I said, 20 years of working drugs, mainly in the drug unit. I very rarely had seen heroin in our area. It was here, but it was just a select members of our community that were users and we would see our users travel into source states which are close by like baltimore new jersey and dc and picking up bindles of heroin and a bindle is a one by one package that has approximately about 0.1 of a gram of heroin in it in your bigger cities where they were going to pick it up it would sell for five dollars for that bindle here in our area it sells for 20 to 30 dollars so we would have users traveling up to those areas and buying if you buy 10 bindles they refer to that as a bundle, gives you a little better deal. They would go up and buy a couple bundles. They would come back and they would sell half and they would use half. Well, from 2010 to 11, we've seen a 400% increase in the heroin we seized within our drug unit, which is the largest drug unit in West Virginia. So we went from just users now to dealers coming down from source states like Detroit and just overwhelming our communities with a large amount of heroin because we had so many people addicted to prescription pills. So it was, a, it was an easy market for them. And now we've kind of progressed from the heroin to the fentanyl, which is a synthetic, you know, and fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin. It's 100 times stronger than morphine. And that's why we're seeing a lot, a lot of overdose deaths involving the fentanyl. Wow. Okay. So describe the difference between heroin and fentanyl. You know, heroin obviously comes from the poppy plant. It is uh, semi-synthetic, synthesized from morphine, you know, there's three of the natural occurring substances, theobane, codeine, and morphine, whereas fentanyl is man-made. It's a synthetic, and as I said, it's 50 times stronger than heroin. So if you, know, if you take, say, pure fentanyl, you take a, let's use a salt shaker, for example, and you have pure fentanyl in that salt shaker, and you dumped it out on your table, and you separate two to five granules of that fentanyl, that's enough fentanyl to overdose and kill you. So it doesn't take much of that substance to cause an overdose. And the reason it doesn't is because it's nonpolar. And when I say nonpolar, if you take a pitcher of water and you dump in cooking oil in with it, what happens? They it separate. Separates. They don't yeah. mix. Right. So when you take a drug, it's got to cross that blood-brain barrier in your brain, okay? So fentanyl, where it's nonpolar, it races and it crosses that blood-brain bar- barrier very easily, and it doesn't absorb where it's nonpolar, so it races right across the receptors. Whereas you have like morphine or if you have heroin, they are also nonpolar, but they have some polar molecules also attached. So when they hit that blood-brain barrier, they have a harder time crossing, and they absorb as they go across. So for me, it would be like taking a a bottle of water and you're on a smooth desk and me dumping it towards you, that water is going to race across towards you. Whereas if you put a bounty towel between it, you know, it's going to absorb. It may make its way if you have enough water over to you, but it's going to absorb as it goes across. Well, that's the way the drugs are. The morphine, the heroin, they absorb as they go across your brain, whereas fentanyl doesn't. It races across one to two hours is how long the high lasts. It's an extreme high. Uh, that last a short period of time, one to two hours, compared to heroin, which lasts six to eight hours. So we see a lot of the depression in the central nervous system, breathing, and then we have a lot of people obviously overdosing from it. Okay, so what do we do? You know, right now, I don't know, you know, out here, I I was looking at the statistics uh, yesterday as I was uh, sending them out amongst some of our uh, professionals that I work with, and Approximately 25% of our overdoses in West Virginia right now, we're leading the nation as far as per capita, involve fentanyl. Prescription pills is lower, you know, 10 to 15%. 
But I, I recently, I saw in Ohio an article that said that opiates and heroin is no longer their drug of danger. It's now cocaine. And 70% of their overdoses involve cocaine mixed with fentanyl. So we're starting to see these other drugs that are being diluted and mixed with fentanyl. Uh, where in the past, you know, when you would when you would take a drug like cocaine, you want to mix that with something cheap in order they call it stepping on it or mixing it because you want to make more money from it. You want to make it go further. Now we're seeing, you know, grabbing the market with this strong fentanyl of the cartels mixing it in with we found it in meth. We found it in cocaine. Obviously, the majority of heroin, it's easier for our drug units here in my area, Charleston. It's just as easy for them to buy fentanyl that's purported to be heroin as it is to buy heroin in our area. So we've got to realize, you know, that uh, we're dealing with a drug that when you touch it, it can absorb into your skin and cause you to get high. So for law enforcement, that's a danger. Or if you touch it, then you touch your nose, your mouth. You know, you can cause yourself to overdose, which we've seen that with in our law enforcement, and how strong it is. So we've seen DEA now say that we will not field test any substance that may have fentanyl in it. Well, what are you going to field test? Because we've seen it in every drug just about out there. Wow. And it comes in, it, it might be in a pill, it might be in a powder, it might be a patch. Yeah, it's, you know, when you first started hearing about fentanyl, you know, it was used for terminally ill cancer patients. And when I was in the drug unit, you know, we would hear people taking the patches and sucking the gel out of it or freezing it or doing whatever they could to get that gel out. And we would find them overdosed, you know, with those patches in their mouth. You know, that was early on. And you always heard it from a pharmaceutical or a medical standpoint. But now, you know, when we're talking about fentanyl being cut or mixed in with heroin, it kind of threw me off when we first started hearing it because of just what I explained to you a while ago is generally you're going to mix that drug with something cheap in order to make it go further. Like heroin, a good thing to mix it with is like a sleeping aid. Why? Because good heroin gives you the nods. So now we see you're cutting heroin with fentanyl. Why? You know, that seems expensive. It seems counterproductive. So one of my buddies who's a DEA agent, Darren Atkins, he was out of the London, Kentucky office. He kind of explained it to me, and this was early on. He said, you can, you know, people were getting online and ordering ANPP for ANPP from China. So we have $380 and we order NPP from China. All right. It comes in and we get online and it shows you the conversion. So if you have a chemistry background, it wouldn't be overly hard for you to do. So you convert that $380 to NPP. It's one step away from fentanyl. All right. And we successfully convert it. We're going to make 18 grams of pure fentanyl. Well, two to five granules of pure fentanyl is enough to overdose and kill you. So you have to dilute that down. You have to be very careful diluting it down. Obviously you dilute that down successfully. You'll make 1.8 kilos of fentanyl. All right. Each kilo of heroin sells on a wholesale level for approximately $30,000 for a kilo. And a kilo is 2.2 pounds, a thousand grams. Fentanyl sells for approximately $32,000 a kilo. So look how much money you're making from that small investment where you've ordered from China. So as a cartel, why would you want to have poppy fields where you have to put forth all the effort, have somebody there watching grow one, then you have to purify it. When you can just order a powder from China, you can pay a chemist to convert it. It is much stronger than heroin. You want to give them a really, a really intense high and they can sell it very easily. And like you said, they can put it in pill form. 
they can, which you can pretty well is you can make a lot more money by doing that rather than selling it by kilo form. So that's what we see happening. I don't think the cartel wants to kill their clients, but they're willing to, to make the amount of money they're making from fentanyl. And that's why we see it in all the different products we're seeing. Well, and for years on this, on this podcast, we've talked about why human trafficking happens and greed is always one of the top issues people want to make money and selling drugs um, selling people is one way that they do that and the the intersection then between selling drugs and and drug addiction with human trafficking at our conference we, we talked about instances where and you brought it up you said you know people say i would never stick a dirty needle in my arm but then when that level of addiction and just the need to feel okay is so intense. And we interviewed Dr. Michael Hanna on a previous podcast about that addiction issue. Um, We have cases where parents have not only neglected or abused their children or their kids have been exposed to drugs, but their kids have been sold to make money for buying the drugs. And that's one of the things that we want to begin to understand in our own communities. Does this exist? If it's only happening in in your area, Chad, but I don't think so. I think we can learn a lot from what you're doing there. So let's talk about what you say to the kids when you go to the school. You you show them pictures of what's real and what's fake. How do you how do you do prevention? Yeah, um, with my program, I mainly address the middle school and the high school level. And we know from studies that the elementary school is a is, is you need to really seven to nine is a you know is a really good age to start. So we do have programs that uh, other people that I work with are also going into schools and presenting. But I, I show them a couple of my friends that in middle school, two of my buddies that were good kids that made good grades, played sports, and they went down the road to drug addiction, and they both died by the age of 31. You know, they weren't bad kids. They made some bad choices later on. And I tell them, you know, where would I be, do you think, if I continued to do the same thing thing that my friends, you know, did? And I tell them, you know, I don't judge as I go out here and deal with people. I say, for the grace of God, there go I. I could have went down that same road had I made some bad choices also. And then I go into the most popular drugs. You know, right now in our area, we're having a huge thing with what's termed as jeweling. If you've seen, are you familiar with the e-cigarettes, the, the, the jewel looks like a thumb drive? Yes, I saw that from uh, Stephen Lambert at Insured Justice. I, was, I, I would never have thought it was something that could deliver drugs. Yeah, and, and you know, right now, is it starts out kind of innocent in our middle schools, and it's really popular in our area, and a lot of the teachers don't even realize that thumb drive is the device. It's the e-cigarettes that you can plug into your computer, and it has little mods in it with the different levels, different flavors of nicotine in it, but you can also introduce synthetic drugs through them. So we see kids, I mean, just, you know, in bathrooms, five and six at a time, passing it around, and they refer to it as getting nick sick you know, from too much nicotine at oh. once or getting a nick buzz from it or what have you. And, you know, it's just sad because it starts you out down that road. You know, it starts out innocent, but, you know, next thing you know, somebody offers you that and it doesn't have the nicotine in it. It has the synthetic drug in it or what have you. So we introduce, you know, we try to help with peer pressure with those types of things. We talk about prescription pill abuse and 
one of the things I like to tell them is, is, you know, if, you know, all of you here would say that you you would never use heroin, you would never, you know, do intravenous drug use, but what takes them there? You know, when somebody offers you that pill, which seems like it's no big deal, that that's how 80% of your heroin users obviously started using heroin because they got addicted to that pill, which is no big deal. And a lot of kids think like Laura tabs and Zanny bars are huge in our area, that they're no big deal. They're just fun. Well, we just talked about the fentanyl and stamping those pills into Loratab, hydrocodone, the Zanny bars or what have you. A lot of these kids get this from either people they know, but a lot of it comes from the black web where you get on the Internet and you're able to, if you have access to money or credit cards, you're able to order these pills across the Internet. Well, when you're ordering from a place like that, it's only a matter of time before you're going to get the fentanyl pills. We're seizing them all throughout our area in West Virginia. So these kids, and and we learned at Ensure Justice, the earlier a child starts to experiment, the more likely they are to become an addict. The later you start doing any kind of addictive behavior, even smoking, the less likely you will become an, an addict. And so this kind of prevention, I love that somebody's doing stuff from seven to nine years of age in elementary school. So then we've got just a couple minutes. Teachers are going to be emailing me saying, but what about us? So what are you telling the teachers? Well, you know, when we go in with the, the teachers also, as you know, um, when I go do presentations and I'll ask a teacher, I'll be like, how many of you know what Molly is? You know, Molly's pure M- MDMA mixed with a lot of time with bath salts or your synthetics, you know, and I can ask them in front of the kids. 65 to 70% of the kids will know the drug Molly, whereas 10% approximately my teachers when I first started knew what Molly was. Or if you talk about scissor, you know, or, or purple dank, as you hear it, a lot of these kids know what that is. They know that's codeine mixed with like Jolly Ranchers and your flavored drinks or what have you. Why? Because they know it through their music. You know, they may have not been introduced to it at their school, but their music that they're listening to is telling them that's cool. You know, that's something that you want to be involved with. So just educating teachers on the terms, on the jeweling and the different things that's really popular within the schools, because a lot of them have no clue. They have no clue what's going on on the streets as far as how that's translating, but also in your pop culture, within your raves and your, you know, your schools, as far as what is trending, as far as the music industry goes, because that's where a lot of these kids learn from. Wow. Teachers. We're going to have to put together a podcast just for you to help with this. And Chad, we'll reach back out to you to look for that. What about one last question? And and then we have to close. What about parents? What do you say to parents? Parents, you got to be involved. You know, you just have to be involved with your kids. You know, the majority of these things that we're talking about from Julian, you know, they're thirty nine ninety nine, And then you're talking about the pods uh, that you put in them. And then you're talking about pills that are very expensive. Know where your kid's money's going. You know, if you're giving it to them, please keep up with it. You know, know who they're hanging out with. Be an active parent because that's so, so important. Kids want you to talk to them about drug abuse they they can be difficult i have two of myself you know but they want you to talk to them they want you to be engaged so be engaged and know what your kid's doing know who they're hanging out with so just be an involved parent i said that was the last question but you started it at the beginning grandparents are raising grandkids now because of this so what are you going to say to the grandparents you know and a lot of them tell me it's just not fair you know it's not with 
the way it was intended to be. You know, this is not what we love our grandkids and we would do whatever, but this is not where we thought we would be at the age of retirement or what have you. So I think it's going to come down to a lot of education on our part. We know that when the family breaks down, we see a lot of problems in our society and we're, we're definitely seeing that we're single parents and uh, really parents becoming addicted, you know, trying to do the best they can. Then the addiction just takes over, you know, so I think for us as society, we have to start looking at why people are using drugs in the first place. You know, we can tackle the drug and we can try to knock out cocaine or we can knock out crystal meth, which is meth, which is another talk that's huge in our area. But until we find out why people are turning to drugs in the first place, we're going to continue this cycle, I think. In our area, it's a sense of hopelessness, you know, loss of jobs, breakdown of the family structure. So those are some of the huge things that we're going to have to address. Chad, you are just a delight to talk to. And I don't think it's just your West Virginia accent. Just (laughs) love your heart and your passion for kids and for families. And we'll definitely have you come back. Thank you so much for your time today. And people can reach out to you through the Global Center for Women and Justice. You can also go to the Handle with Care webpage, which we'll have that link in our show notes. And I'm sure there's a lot of resources there that you can start using in your schools and in your community. So thank you, Chad, so much for being with us today. Thanks. And you guys have a great day. Sandy, there's so many things that um, I I learned in this episode that just as we talked about, so critical for teachers, parents, grandparents to know about. Um, I'm uh, I'm overwhelmed with uh, going to track down some information after this. Uh, Gosh, uh, you know, we talk a lot about studying the issues. And uh, and this is an important part of that, isn't it? Of studying the issues. That's right. That's right. And I, I love how Chad went back to what are some of the root causes and ground zero in the U.S. is an area where there just are no jobs. So we go back to some of the basics we've learned about exploitation, no options. For more of the basics, go to endinghumantrafficking.org. You can stay connected with us there. You can also track down all of the past episodes. Uh, We will be back in two weeks for another conversation. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.